0: This is Vandana Shiva, and you're listening to the Enviro Show on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP, 103.3 FM, Northampton, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org. Remember, listen to your mother. The Enviro Show thanks River Valley Co-op, Northampton's locally grown food co-op. Located at 330 North King Street and at 228 North Hampton Street in East Hampton. The co-op specializes in fresh, local, and organically grown foods, from produce and cheese to fresh meats and locally baked goods. Everyone is welcome. Open 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily. Enviro Show thanks, River Valley Co-op, for their support. Do you find yourself longing for the apocalypse? I did. I was looking for a reason to live. Hi, are you feeling tired, irritable, stressed out? Well, you might consider nature. From the people that brought you getting outside comes prescription strength nature, a non-harmful medication shown to relieve the crippling symptoms of modern life. Nature's recommended for humans of all ages, and it's great for pets too. Nature can reduce cynicism, meaninglessness, anal retentiveness, and murderous rage. In clinical studies, nature is proven to decrease work-induced catatonia. Caution. Nature may cause you to slow down, quit your job, or seriously consider what the f*** you're doing with your life. If you are overly cynical, jaded, or emotionally numb, you may need to increase your dose of nature. Do you have trouble being even mildly uncomfortable? Nature may not be right for you. Side effects may include spontaneous euphoria, taking yourself less seriously, and being in a good mood for no apparent reason. So ask your doctor if nature is right for you. Now, literally from across the valley and around the world, it's The Enviro Show on WXOJLP 103.3 FM, Valley Free Radio, Northampton. Greetings those things. It's the 2024 New Year Enviro Show. I am one of your co-hosts, Dio. I'm not in the studio with... Hey, this is Glenn Ayers. Happy New Year. Are you ready for a new year that promises to be historic and quite possibly horrific? Other than the potential of his malignancy, the Mad King's return to power and the end of democracy in 2024, there are any number of other consequential events and situations prepared to confront us. Anne Peterman of Global Justice Ecology returns to the show as we talk about trees as well as genetically engineered trees, the forests in the new year. As always, we will also bring you along to meet this week's Fool on the Hill and those whose brains are small, and not to mention Quote of the Week and more. But first, it's time for... Revenge of the Critters. This one's a classic. A tiger tracked down and killed the poacher who shot him. Russian poacher Vladimir Markov found out the hard way when he attacked one Siberian tiger in Russian Far East in 1997. Markov shot and wounded the Siberian tiger during a hunt. And to add insult to injury, he took part of its kill. The tiger didn't forget. Obviously, the tiger got away. And between 12 and 48 hours later, it tracked Markov to the cabin where he lived. But Markov wasn't home. So the tiger destroyed anything in the cabin that had his scent and patiently waited for him to arrive. When Markov finally did, the tiger killed him and ate him. Revenge of the Critters, Glenn. How's that for a classic? That's a great way to start off the new year. I thought so, too. Well, let's see what's going on uh, with the fools. This week's Fool on the Hill? And nobody seems to like
1: him, the fool
0: on the hill. This week's fool on the hill is repeat offender and House Speaker, Representative Mike Johnson. You may remember. Last time we entertained MAGA Mike, it was well, just his words we were talking about. Here, the Union of Concerned Scientists takes a look at some of his climate crimes in action. Quote. Johnson's new bill ends rebates for electric appliances, home electrification projects, and training funds for project installation. It eliminates or slashes funding for clean energy and energy efficiency efforts throughout the Department of Energy and defunds a National Climate Corps modeled after the New Deal-era Civilian Conservation Corps. It blocks funding for state net zero programs and tighter building energy codes. It stops the government from factoring in the, the social cost of greenhouse gases and budgets and environmental reviews, quote. Of course, that one, I assume, is DOA in the Senate, but it certainly uh, fortifies what Rachel Maddow always says. Watch what they do, not what they say. Hey, what a creep a Mike, you know, he's like a choir boy. He's like the choir boy from hell. Yeah. Well, how about it's a climate crisis. We would have liked to remind some of the attendees of the recent COP28 conference that it's a climate crisis, stupid. Despite all the glowing reports you may have heard from some quarters that should know better, any get together headed by an oil sheik in a nation known for its oil production should raise some flags, I would think. Even the New Republic, not noted for its rad views, had issues with this latest COP out. U.S. climate envoy John Kerry has said that companies like Chevron and ExxonMobil ought to be leading the charge on the transition to renewable energy and has expressed consternation at the fact that they aren't. But there's no evidence to suggest the Biden administration will do anything to slow or halt their growth plans. In fact, as the U.N. climate talks open. They were holding an auction for oil and gas drilling rights on 44,000 acres of land in the Western U.S. close quote. So, if you want to hear an even more critical observation from the folks at Democracy Now!, go to the blog, click on the link, viral show without the w, dot blog, dot com. And the second episode, second segment is The Climate Crisis, Still Bad. All right, Glenn, well, how about moving on to, you know, their brains were small? Yeah, and they died. Yeah. Mm -mm. They were big, dumb, and
2: slow. They couldn't go with the flow. Their Their brains brains were were small and they died.
0: Well, the origin, their brains were small and they died, concerns dinosaurs. But, of course, also refers to those who aren't, well, let's say, paying attention We can continue on with the climate emergency theme to a U.S. university, that's in air quotes, you can't see that, that spreads climate lies and receives millions of right-wing donors. The Guardian piece that refers to Prager University Foundation, which is not an accredited education organization at all, that downplays the horrors of slavery and makes false claims about the climate crisis. Goes on to say, quote, founded in 2009 by the conservative talk show host Dennis Prager, whose online media Prager U Kids division has become a key tool in spreading false claims to young people with short videos aimed at undercutting widely accepted science that climate crisis disasters are accelerating due largely to fossil fuel." Usage close quote. So, in other words, brainwashing impressionable kids with far right BS. The Guardian also went on to point out that players among Prager U's leading financiers are the oil and gas fracking billionaire brothers, Ferris and Dan Wilkes, other top conservative donors to Prager U. Which styles itself as alternative to the dominant left-wing ideology in culture, media, and education include the Lynde and Harry Bradley Foundation, the National Christian Charitable Foundation, and the Dick and Betsy DeVoe Foundation. Betsy DeVoe, Glenn, where's that? I, that name is so familiar.
1: Yeah, wasn't she some loser in the malignant administration?
0: Jubilee, she was in charge of education.
1: So naturally, yeah. she won such an effort. <laughs> in charge of destroying public education in the United States. Yeah.
0: All right, moving on. So we'll, we'll be talking shortly with our guest about, you know, the president's recent announcement regarding our national forests and climate change. The Guardian subhead reads, MOVE aims to protect millions of old-growth trees, which are better at storing carbon, but its outcome depends on the 2024 election, close quote. Tree-huggers take notice. Hey, we're a Biden with Biden on this one, but what's this about? The proposal focuses on most old-growth forests, leaving mature forests still vulnerable to logging, which is middle ground between environmentalists and the timber industry, close quote. Middle ground, Glenn. It's the climate crisis, stupid. Stop backsliding, Biden. Oh yeah, Okay, in the viral show Echo Chamber, we rerun a report from Wired about all the fish we cannot see. Oh, Glenn, you're going to like this one. We haven't done a, an under-the-water sea you know, peace on the sea or the oceans in quite a while. Unbeknownst to most of us, there lies, quote, a hidden catch of fish that might play an unexpected role in our climate's future. It seems like a bad time for a new fishery, close quote. So it seems there's this vast cloud of marine animals, most smaller than, oh, the human hand, that move from the deep ocean to the surface and back every day. This is a new finding. They move a large amount of carbon, but they are threatened by, guess who? Commercial fishing industry. Same old, same old. So did you get a chance to read that one, Glenn?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, this reminds me of uh, previous shows where we've reported that of the large fish in the ocean, so, you know, the ones bigger than your hand, uh, we've already removed 90 to 95 percent of the large fish in the ocean that were there in historic times, and now, of course, what's left? The small fish that are the size or smaller than your hand. And now we're gonna what remove 90 percent of them as well. And of course, all that biomass represents carbon storage and Mm -hmm. cycling, carbon cycling. In the oceans. And if we keep removing all of the life from the oceans, none of that carbon storage and cycling will be happening. And that will be like essentially clear cutting old growth forests.
0: Right.
1: We got to figure this out. We can't continue to abuse nature because we've already exceeded the carrying capacity of this planet by right. by a factor of 75%. The human horde is living as if we had 1.75 Earths in resources. That's what we're consuming currently. And that means that we are in serious overshoot. We're degrading the capacity of various ecosystems to, to ever be self-sustaining. And if we don't get back into balance with nature... Guess what? We're going to have, like all populations, like all animal populations, because we're an animal, like all animal populations, they go through an exponential boom cycle where their population grows, and then they're subject to the constraints of nature, and there's a serious bust cycle. Boom and bust... We've been on a boom for a long time, and we cannot continue to live as if we had one and three quarter planets. That's just completely unsustainable.
0: Right, and here here is a, a massive population of fish that we didn't even know about in the in the forties. They they would have a radar uh, findings that they couldn't explain, and it wasn't until very recently that they discovered that this whole population of fish that migrates every day from way down deep up to almost the surface for feeding. It's so new science, new findings, and what happens? Same old, same old, that's what happens. Oh, Anyway, how about something positive? Let's move on to Quote of the Week. Okay, here's a good one for us, for starting New Year out with. Quote, Acts of creation are ordinarily reserved for gods and poets, but humbler folk may circumvent this restriction if they know how. To plant a pine, for example, one need be neither a god nor a poet. One need only to own a shovel. Close quote, and that was Aldo Leopold.
1: Perfect. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I can relate to that because. I've been planting a lot of trees with the uh, Greenfield Tree Committee over the past, I don't know how many years, seven or eight years, we've been planting hundreds of trees. Good one.
0: I guess that takes us to our interview.
1: All right. I'm not going to do much of an intro to this, except to say that we need to really think about re-engineering nature because- just just the level of hubris involved in thinking that we're smarter than the entire collective intelligence of nature and all of the organisms that interact. That's something that Aldo Leopold talked about all the time, is how to have an ecological knowledge is to live in a world of wounds, and that is something that if you... Keep that in mind during this interview, what we're talking about here is treating nature as if it is a factory farm or an assembly line, and that is not dealing with life, that's really dealing with death. So let's get into the interview, and uh, maybe we'll have something more positive to say on the other side. So today on the Enviro Show, we are joined by Anne Peterman, and Anne has been on the show in the past, but she is the Executive Director of the Global Justice Ecology Project, and that is an kind of an international effort focused on ecology, protection of the environment, especially forests and indigenous uh, peoples around the globe. But Anne, if you well, welcome to the Enviro Show, and if you wouldn't mind, give folks a just brief intro to yourself and the Global Justice Ecology Project, and, and maybe mention some of the projects within your kind of group, and then what we'll want to kind of talk about is this, I don't know what to call it exactly, the American chestnut fiasco, and, and specifically genetically engineered American chestnuts. So we'll get into that. But first, do an introduction. Welcome to the Enviro Show, Anne.
2: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it be, being on again. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm Ann Peterman. I've been involved in struggles for forest protection and indigenous people's rights since 1990-91 right around there, and um, as you mentioned, the Global Justice Ecology Project, uh, we founded Oren Langell, who's also my husband, and I founded Global Justice Ecology Project in 2003 after working together for about 10 years or so, and We've done our work, not just here in the United States, working on protection of forests and various environmental justice related issues, but also globally. So, and we we spent about um, eight or nine years going to the UN climate conventions that um, happen all over the world, usually at the, the end of the year, and got to see what kind of nonsense goes on at those. Um, we also went to a lot of UN biodiversity conferences where we advocated against genetically engineered trees and tried to do a lot of education of um, you know community groups all the way up to uh, parties you know government parties about the dangers of genetically engineered trees, and you know we've also traveled extensively around Latin America, especially Chile and Brazil, where we've worked with indigenous groups to about the dangers of GE trees and have also been advocating about the dangers of industrial tree plantations. So not necessarily GE trees, but industrial tree plantations that are generally non-native and extremely destructive, toxic, you know, deplete water and so on. So we've been doing a lot of different kinds of work. Um, we have a podcast called Breaking Green, which explores false solutions to climate change, as well as false solutions to other um, other green issues, green uh, explores false solutions to other green problems that are going on, uh, you know, that are pretending to be real solutions, but aren't. So anyway that's who global justice ecology project is in a nutshell and um you know just really happy to be on the show and 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 to be uh talking to you all again it's been we've worked together a long time uh since the 90s
1: Yes we go way back one of the things that made me think of you really was this recent announcement about this fiasco with genetically engineered american chestnuts which you know the the american chestnut I mean, short history was wiped out from an introduced fungal pathogen that came into the United States and wiped out a, a fairly, in some places, a very dominant forest tree. And, you know, it wasn't that the entire East Coast was American chestnuts, but in some places it was a dominant tree and very important to the ecosystem and to the wildlife. And so there has been an effort, and that, That last kind of mature American chestnut died out back in the 1930s, I think. And we still see sprouts in the woods, but they don't grow up to any appreciable size. They get to be a sapling and then they typically succumb to the fungus, which is still around in the environment, in the soil. And so there has been an effort now for decades to bring the American chestnut back and this process, because because we are techno-optimists, I think, you know, as as humans and full of hubris, we think that we can techno our way out of everything. So the genetic engineers have gotten involved and have genetically engineered American chestnuts to be supposedly resistant to the chestnut blight. And so that brings us up to what this press release was about, and that is, what I'd say is the fiasco is that one of the main organizations that is has been doing that work, the American Chestnut Foundation, um, made an announcement recently that they were sent some samples of a particular type of genetically engineered tree to do do research with, to do field testing with. And it turned out that they were sent the wrong, the wrong variety or the wrong selection of that instead of being sent something called the Darling Fifty Eight, they were sent some other uh, non-Darling Fifty Eight species, which they had been doing research on for the past like five or six years. So, if you could tell our listeners about what you know about that fiasco and what it, what does it really mean. To this whole idea of replacing natural forests with Frankenstein trees.
2: Sure. <clears throat> well, yeah. So you know, fiasco is a good word. We prefer to call it a giant boondoggle. So yeah, it's it was really kind of shocking when it all came out. We you know we were all just sitting around scratching our heads. Going, how did that? How how these people are supposed to be scientists, right? How did one and the people who um, provided the wrong tree and the wrong pollen to the American Chestnut Foundation were the the researchers at the State University of New York College of Environmental Science and Forestry. So, um, you know, they had this department there, this, this whole lab devoted to the American chestnut and... Somehow they mixed up the trees like, oh, yeah, well, it's we're supposed to send them this one, but we sent them this other one instead. And nobody noticed. So it took that was back in 2016 that that happened. The handoff happened and nobody noticed. Nobody at ESF noticed. Nobody at the American Chestnut Foundation noticed um, until after in September of this year, the American Chestnut Foundation and SUNY ESF, who have been close collaborators in this project to restore um, the genetically Ameri- genetically engineered American chestnut into forest, to put it into forest to restore the American chestnut. Um, they have been close collaborators since the beginning. And in September, they had a, a joint webinar called a chestnut chat, where they revealed that this chestnut That they've been working with has had all of these unexpected problems. It it grows 20% slower. It has high rates of mortality um, unexpectedly. It doesn't really resist the blight. You know, it's like all of these things that it was supposed to be the magic bullet for, it doesn't do. And so after that happened, some other researchers from another university in Maine started looking into it and discovered that the tree that they've been working with was the wrong one. It, did, it had the OXO gene, the gene that, that supposedly provides blight tolerance. It had that gene in the wrong place on the chromosome. So they figured out that it wasn't the tree that they thought they were using, um, that they'd been exper- experimenting with. And so that was when TACF, the American Chestnut Foundation, decided to pull out of this project. So the, the two of them have been working together on this. SUNY ESF in 2020 submitted a petition to the, to the US Department of Agriculture asking for permission to release this, this tree, this genetically engineered American chestnut, into the forests with no regulations, with no monitoring to specifically spread its genetically engineered pollen and seeds without controls um, to contaminate wild American chestnuts. That was the entire purpose of this project. And uh, it's been pending with the USDA since then. So it's still they still haven't made a decision, the USDA. So what happened on December 8th was the American Chestnut Foundation, after finding out that they've been working with the wrong tree, um, hold their support for that petition. They said, we no longer support this petition for deregulation going forward. You know, uh, this this tree will not be helpful in, in restoration of the species. This will actually set back restoration of the species because it will cause a public confidence problem. They were quite clear that they're afraid that this will influence public opinion against genetically engineered trees. Duh. Um, <laughs> I would hope it would. Uh, and so they didn't want to support it anymore. And um, the American, sorry, at SUNY ESF, the other researchers ha- are are very angry about that from what we've seen online and uh, in emails and so forth, that they are now, you know, they want to continue with the petition. They still want to have the D-58 deregulated, even though they've also been working with the wrong tree. So, you know, everybody's been working with the wrong tree. So now the USDA has to figure out what they're going to do if they're going to deregulate this tree that isn't actually the tree they thought it was that nobody, you know, that, or do they um, reject the deregulation, which would be, um, you know, something that the USDA doesn't really like to do, which is, you know, turning down a GMO plant is not something they're, they're really keen on. So. It's interesting to see where it will go from here. I mean, even if they deregulate it, the tree doesn't work, right? So I don't exactly understand what SUNY ESF's endgame is here. Um, They want to get it deregulated just to set the precedent to have a, a GE chestnut with the OXO gene deregulated, which would, in fact, open the gates to all kinds of future generations of GE chestnuts with that same trait, the OXO blight tolerance trait, uh, that, that might be, you know, what they're thinking, but you know, th- this tree is not going to ta- is not going to restore the American chestnut. It's not even going to come close. If, if, if the USDA had deregulated this tree in the speed with which they normally do, um, we would already have these defective trees out in the out in the forest, spreading their defective pollen to wild American chestnut trees and impacting their ability to survive um, over time. So, you know, this this was really a narrowly missed disaster for the forests. And I can't emphasize that enough. Um, and that's one of the reasons we're, we're saying that this is a perfect example. This is exactly what we've been saying since the beginning. For 20 years now, we've been saying that GE trees cannot be predicted. They can't be controlled. And because they're large, large long-lived organisms in a very complicated environment, there's no way to know what they're going to do without a full life cycle analysis. And even then you're really not going to know because, you know, climate change and everything else, the forests are are changing. Um and the trees are adapting or have to adapt. So yeah, so that's that's the story in a nutshell, but it's really we're using it as a, a very cautionary tale about what can go wrong with GE trees because it very close, very nearly went very badly for our forests. I,
1: I think that's what you would describe as a cluster yes blank <laughs> um and it and i think it points out one of the things about messing with the genetic code the way these geneticists who apparently are professionals they don't you know this story shows that they don't even know what they're doing no. i mean it, it's not that they're incompetent it's that this stuff is so complex so complicated that i'm afraid that the human mind really can't comprehend it properly even if you're even if you're an expert in a certain area and that's what you focused on there's all these other areas that you have neglected because you can't be an expert in everything and so there are all these interconnected parts you know, like ecology tells us that these things are not isolated, they're all interconnected, and we can't make these kinds of predictions. And if we think we can do it, then we're just, we're telling a story. It's it's a fantasy world that we're creating in order to come out with the predetermined outcome that we want. And you know that's i think that's really at the base underlying all of this is that the dominion that the human animal wants to have is a fantasy it the world doesn't work that way that's not reality and yet here we have these kinds of projects that are getting you know millions and millions and maybe even billions of dollars of funding and it's all a complete artifice and a fantasy world That these researchers are working in and the fact that they've done this now petition to release this fantasy organism into the real world should be really shocking i think for everyone to contemplate what that means and why this is really this really needs to be something that is not just studied more but we need to be going on a different, we need to be going in a different direction. Because you know, and you can probably talk about this. The the indigenous people never related to the real world this way. And we have some defect in our brains that makes us think that we can. Somehow control everything, and you know this is a great example of how that kind of thinking fails.
2: Yeah, and it's it's interesting to look at it. Um, You know, you mentioned the petition. I I said it was submitted in 2020. That was when the trees had only been growing in outdoor field trials for three years. I mean, they were really young, young trees. And they were saying thus, the researchers were saying that they had blight tolerance at that point. So clearly they would have blight tolerance for their whole lives, right? For all the full 200, 250 years that they were in the forest, obviously, right? So um, and of course, that didn't that ended up not happening. The trees got a little bit older and then they started to show that they were extremely poorly uh, that their genetics were quite poor in terms of their survival rates. So and when they looked at the problem and they they found it was interesting looking at some of the, the the conversations among the researchers, they they were talking to them, to each other, talking about how they didn't have the technology to know there was a problem back when the trees were, you know, when they, where they were transferred and they didn't have the technology to know there was a problem until very recently. So they didn't have the technology, but they wanted to release these trees into the wild. Uh, as you mentioned, you know the hubris of of these researchers is just is astounding. And so many of the things that have gone wrong with this were things that you know the Center for Food Safety are some of the the scientists, the hard the hard uh, research, hard researching scientists who looked at this and submitted comments to the USDA. And practically everything that they said was going to go wrong went wrong, right? So. Um, it's it, it wasn't a surprise to us that these things went wrong. It was a surprise to us that they admitted that they went wrong and that they withdrew their support for the petition, um, the American Chestnut Foundation.
1: Yeah, yeah. well,'m I'm, I'm not surprised that things go wrong because they're, <laughs> again, they're based on this fantasy world of thinking that we know better, and nature and that's got to be uh, you know a recipe for disaster honestly and look what it's gotten us so far so let's let's um let's shift gears a little bit and talk you know still talking about forests but obviously we are big fans on this show of intact forests and forest protection and you know almost every show we talk about that and the need to protect existing forests or pro-forestation. And just recently the Biden administration came out with some kind of a policy declaration whereby they're claiming that they're changing the policy toward uh, better protection of mature and old growth forests on our national uh, forests or our nationally owned uh, public lands and i wonder if you know that's the kind of approach we should be taking toward protecting existing forests rather than trying to release novel frankenstein species into the wild you know why should we why should we be putting all of that money toward you know honestly a fantasy um when we have the reality of existing forests that need protection and have the intrinsic capacity you know currently without any human manipulation to be self-sustaining and to be evolving and to be what we really need especially at a time of climate emergency and and i wonder what you know what you think about that obviously The Biden administration has come out with some positive policies towards forest protection and, you know, they could be doing a lot more, but I just wonder what you think about that recent announcement.
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm curious how they plan to get it implemented on the ground, because if you look at the proposals coming out of the U.S. Forest Service, for example, you see that- it's just more and more and more logging and uh they want to spray herbicides and they want to burn and they want, you know, they want to transform the forests of the Midwest, for example, into prairies. <laughs> I mean, you know, and they then this is all in the name of climate change, the climate mitigation, you know, let's uh let's destroy the forest and put in prairies and that'll help the climate somehow. I don't know. But um so and and we see what's going on in in, in Vermont, you know, supposedly progressive Vermont, with uh the plans to log in the state forests the camel's hump state forest that iconic camel's hump in vermont they're you know logging like crazy on that state forest so it's interesting i'm I'm curious to see how they plan to do that how they plan to actually implement that with all of the different agencies that are you know at this point experts in forest destruction um I I don't really believe that they can do it. I'm a little bit of a cynic there, I guess, you know, I look at this uh, being an election year coming up and this proposal will go into effect after the next election. So, you know, (laughs) well, let's, let's see what happens, but I, if they could do it, you know, fantastic. Um, I'm just a little bit cynical on how they're going to implement that.
0: How how can you help but but be cynical? So they. They, they say it's like 2025 before they're going to act on this announcement. So that <laughs> she's scratching her head, no doubt. And and it also in in the the reporting, I haven't read the announcement either. But in the reporting, they noted that uh, something about limited logging. So there's all these seeming caveats and so forth. So I don't. I want to celebrate this, but. You know history makes me makes me wonder
2: exactly.
1: yeah, yeah well i'm I'm there with you i I have a lot of uh, skepticism always about the motivations behind uh, some of these things. but um you know, before we leave Anne, we really want to get a better picture of, uh, what folks can do if there's a way for them to get involved uh, you know in this GE issue you know can they write to their elected officials can they write letters to the editor you know is there some kind of active uh role that they can play in this uh, Fiasco and then also um, take some time to tell folks how they can uh, follow the global Justice ecology project how they can get involved and you know what what avenues you have for activism? Because this is a show for activists, uh, you know, specifically forest activists or climate activists, and you know, there's a lot of uh, overlap between those two things.
2: Sure. Um, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, well, for the genetically engineered trees issue, we have two sign-on opportunities right now for people to make their voice heard about how they feel about genetically engineered trees and the problems that they could potentially cause um, one is the regarding this 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 giant boondoggle fiasco whatever you want to call it with the genetically engineered american chestnut we have a on the website stopgetrees.org we have a sign on letter that people can go to where they can submit comments to the SUNY ESF people the people at the state university of new york College of Environmental Science and Forestry telling them to drop the petition. So in addition to our demands to the USDA to pull the, uh, to reject the petition, we're also asking SUNY ESF to withdraw the petition altogether. So it's just gone. So people can sign on to that and uh, put some pressure on that way. And the other sign-on that we have is actually re- regarding the impact of large-scale genetically engineered eucalyptus plantations that are planned to be developed in Brazil. And so that sign-on letter is um, to support the demands of communities down there that are trying to protect their territories and protect their communities and their villages from the potential impacts of these large-scale eucalyptus, genetically engineered eucalyptus plantations, as well as calling attention to the existing impacts of conventional large-scale eucalyptus plantations that are not genetically engineered, that are already causing havoc. So we've got two, um, you know, one is domestic and one is international, but they both are, are very important in terms of putting pressure in the right places to make sure that forests, native forests, remain standing and that genetically engineered trees do not get released into the environment. So those are both at stopgetrees.org. If you can go to the take action button, you'll find both of those things. And then for um, genetically, I'm sorry, for genetically, for GJEP's other work, uh, you know, it is the year, the end of the year, and we've got a lot of things. We're celebrating this genetically engineered chestnut situation. I, you know, honestly, in August we were looking at the GE chestnut going, well, how are we ever going to stop this? You know, the USDA is going to be approving this. They're going to be putting them out in the forest. There's nothing we can do, you know, short of direct action at that point. Right. Um, And then all of a sudden it just, you know, sea change. It's 180 degree different right now. So, uh, you know, you never know how things are going to work out, but perseverance. I mean, one of the things about Global Justice Ecology Project is when we take on an issue, we follow it all the way through to its conclusion. So we've been working on the issue of genetically engineered trees since 2000. So it's been 23 years now that we've been working on this. Actually, even before GJEP was was founded, myself and Oren, the co-founders, were working on the issue of genetically engineered trees. So You know, we're continuing to work on that and it's really our signature campaign, but it's not our only one. So Oren is also a professional photographer. And whenever we travel around the world, whenever we get involved in supporting the struggles of indigenous communities for self-determination, for autonomy, to protect their lands, you know, Oren is there with his camera. And so we have, uh, you know, he has photographs actually starting with protests against the Vietnam War in 1972. Um, going all the way to 2023, when we were in Brazil, documenting community resistance to plantations. And we're putting that out this year um, in a book. It's called Portraits of Struggle. And it has about 50 photographs spanning about 50 years of uh, of the campaigns that either he has been involved in or we've both been involved in um, that are all about the struggles of communities You know, for justice, either climate justice or struggling for the rights of political prisoners, um, struggling for control of their territories. It's, it's, It's all of these things because they're all interconnected. And that's why we have the name that we do. Global Justice Ecology Project. People get a little confused by it because it's a lot in one name, but it really is about how these issues, social issues, ecological issues, economic issues, they all intertwine. And when we see how they intertwine at the roots of all of these justice issues, that's where we really need to be paying attention. And that's where we need to be putting pressure and um that's what ggep is about is looking for those root causes and trying to address the root causes we don't believe in band-aids you know genetically engineered trees stopping that that's a you know that's one way to protect the forest but we also work with the people who are have historically defended those forests the indigenous peoples who live in those forests who have you know for generations been protecting those forests, we work with them to make sure that those forests remain standing as well. So our, one of our major issues, obviously, is forests, but also human rights and uh, and all of the different ways that these come together. So we're selling this book. Um, if you're interested in it, you can go to portraitsofstruggle.org to get more information. And that is on our website, which is, this isn't too many websites, ecology org. So when you go there, you can see all of the different things that we do. Our podcast, which is called Breaking Green, um, our various programs, our GE Trees work. Uh, it's all there. People can check it out and, um, you know, get engaged, take action, get a book, whatever, you, whatever floats your boat.
0: Excellent. And I've heard some of those podcasts. They're really excellent, too.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and
1: I, I just wanna I just want to mention that I know that um that your your organization, GJP, is also kind of an umbrella for a lot of other activist organizations. So, you know, we want to thank you for the amazing work that you have been doing over decades, literally. And uh, you know, and Oren too. And it's so great to have you on the show here. Kind of uh, I was thinking we would do a kind of retrospective end of the year show. But I think this, this is really the way that a really good way to end the show, to show uh, our listeners how activism is it, persistent. Activism is really critical and really appreciate the, the amazing work that you've been doing Anne, for so many years, you know, keep up the great work. We're all in this together and uh, you know, we're, we're big fans of your work. Thanks,
2: well, thank, thanks. thank you so much, uh, Glenn and Don. I'm so happy to be here. And to be. Uh, I, I hope you have a great new year. And I look forward to being on again.
1: Sounds like All a plan. Right. Thanks. That was great.
2: Oh,
0: great. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. The, the American Chestnut, I, I don't know if I mentioned towards the end of the interview about when I was a kid, we drive into the to New York City. Uh, these old Italian guys would be selling chestnuts from little carts on the, right on the street, worn warm chestnuts and put them in a little paper bag and bring them back to the car and it was a big treat. And that was very common and I assume it was common in other cities as well when uh, folks had uh, access to woodlands where they could go out and harvest the American chestnut.
1: Yeah, not anymore but i think this whole this whole issue is something that we really need to pay attention to because if we start replacing nature with genetically engineered creatures there's going to be a lot of unintended consequences i'm sorry we have done a lot we have made a lot of big mistakes in the past trying to introduce species for various reasons and many of the invasive species that we are dealing with all over you know especially in forests and in agriculture and in natural settings many of those invasive species were intentionally introduced by government programs for various reasons and in this case we're talking about creating super organisms through genetic engineering. And that's already happening. It's widespread in agriculture. I think it has a very limited usefulness in agriculture because the plants that are currently resistant to massive amounts of herbicide, for instance, the whole thing with Roundup uh, Ready crops, those genes are being now transferred to the weeds you know, so-called non-target species, and those weeds are developing resistance to Roundup. Plus, you know, soaking the environment with toxic chemicals just isn't a good way to grow food. So Mm -hmm. there are so many things that are wrong with that picture, and yet that's the industrial, you can call it science if you want, but it's perverted science. That's the problem with that approach. And- Taking that approach with forests by genetically engineering trees is, I think, equally dangerous and will lead to ecological disasters because we've seen it happen before. The introduction of the gypsy moth or the inadvertent release of the gypsy moth, which has been defoliating forests now for decades, in response to that, the scientists brought in predators that were supposed to be specific to the gypsy moth. And instead they found many of our native butterfly larvae much more palatable than gypsy moths. And so we've had a massive reduction in other caterpillar butterfly moth populations as a result of those introduced predators that were supposed to go for the gypsy moth, but said, no, you know, I'd rather go for something a little creamier or a little softer or not so bristly and hairy. And as a result of that, we've lost, I'm not positive, but I think it's more than 75% of the large nocturnal moths. When I was a kid, we used to shine a light on a blanket outside a white sheet and there would be literally thousands upon thousands of flying insects attracted to those lights. And now, if you do that, you'd be lucky to get a, a couple moths show up at a bright light. And you won't see those huge moths that used to be present You know, just a few decades ago. They've all been eaten by the predators that were supposed to cancel out the gypsy moth invasion. And I think we're going to have the same kind of failed scientific approach being taken with genetic engineering, except I believe the consequences will be much more dire. So we need to pay attention to this. It is engineering nature, which is always a really bad idea.
0: Hmm. Insect apocalypse, uh, courtesy of? hmm, Industry and government, I guess. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the bus stop billboard. Do you want to take the first one?
1: Sure. Uh, Wednesday, January third, six p.m. Climate Defiance New Year's Benefit, joined by Congresswoman Ariana Presley, Stephen Donziger, and Cambridge City Councilor Sumbul Siddiqui. We do not go along to get along. We do not sit in cubicles circulating petitions and signing coalition letters. We block doors. We crash galas. We shut down speeches and think tanks and hotels and conferences and fundraisers and congressional office buildings. We act like our very lives are on the line because they are. Close quote. That's climate defiance. And an address for that event will be provided upon the RSVP. So for more information on that, contact info at climatedefiance.org.
0: Wow, it sounds like our kind of people. We should have them on a future show. Hmm. January 11, 10 a.m., you can register on our blog for this one. The Biden-Harris administration is hard at work preparing to launch the first cohort of the American Climate Corps by summer 2024. They're excited to announce that they're hosting a virtual listening session to hear your ideas about how to shape this historic groundbreaking initiatives. And then uh, Let's see, January 16th, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, register there. January 25th, you can register for that one. And February 1st, you can register for all three of those if you want on our blog.
1: And Tuesday, January 23rd at 9.30 a.m., Fight for Your Rights Lobby Day. We'll be meeting with legislators to build support and momentum behind three critical bills for democratic rights. Voting Access Act to implement same-day voting registration, the Sunlight Bill to require all votes made by legislators in committee to be publicly available and subject to the Governor's Office of Public Records Law, and the Location Shield Act to protect reproductive freedom. And there's more information about that on the blog. Click on the link, and that's an that obviously is a lobby day here in for the Massachusetts legislature here in
0: Massachusetts. All right. Legislature that definitely needs some, if if nothing else, some reform. Okay. For our show listeners, we will see you next year. And uh, let's see. How about a New Year's resolution like uh, uh, listen to your mother? Okay. this is Adios. And this is
1: Glenn Ayers saying, be active, even more active in the new year than this year. Take care.
0: I am Mother Earth,
1: and I approve of this message.